Welcome to Machine Learning. A-B testing, A-B testing. So, you know, A-B testing, it's just comparative. You've got a uh, control set and you have a test set. Um, and the control set has a conversion variable and uh, you have a conversion rate and the test set has a conversion rate. And from that you can calculate, oh, and you can get the test size and uh, you can calculate confidence intervals, uh, p-values, statistics significance. Okay, so it's on the p-value that I wanna talk for a second. Hypothesis testing. Okay, the null hypothesis. What is the whole notion of the null hypothesis? You know, why do they, why do statisticians even care? You know, don't they just look for how things are related and if they're related, then you say it's, uh, uh, that it's good. Correlation. Uh, well, the reason why they care about um, the null hypothesis is they're looking at two variables and the assumption is that these two variables um, are interactive. They relate to each other. But you don't know if the relation is random. Could it be just the samplings uh, were not random and there looked like there was some correlation, but there really wasn't. It was just noise. And so what they're trying to do is figure out if through the p-value, if these two variables are statistically significant. And if they are statistically significant, then you can say that they, uh, that they are related that one uh, that one test sample uh, against another will be related. So, in that in that case, why does why do you care? Well, you're talking about money. It always comes down to money and profit and loss. And so, um, you're looking if I if I change something in the system, let's say like we're talking about a landing page, if I change something on that landing page, will it make a difference to my profit or loss? And in the case of Lyft, if it's positive, it will have a positive profit. If it's negative, it'll have a negative lift, and so you'll have a loss. Predict it. Now, why is confidence intervals so important? Well, they say that the p-value, this is the what statisticians say, the p-value is not an issue, it's the confidence interval that is. So in other words, you can rely on the p-value as a determination of statistical significance, but the, um, 
uh, uh, but the confidence interval, it's only plus or minus the confidence interval where you're within that 95 percentile that the conversion rate will fall. And so that's a pretty high percentage. And again, you can get outliers, but those are very unlikely. The odds are not in, the odds are not good. So there's a higher probability that, that, that this will occur. And that's called power. So power in your A-B testing is the probability that that will occur in that space. So, um, they're, um, they, uh, um, so, so, um, yeah, so the probability power is the probability there. So then when you get, what you get is you can, you can total the purchases. So we're talking about, since we're talking about money, we were looking at uh, purchases. You can take the users and you can aggregate them uh, and you can get the total sum and divide it by the total number of users and there, there's your conversion rate. So how many opportunities existed, how many purchases occurred, and that gives you a conversion rate. So then you will run your A-B test for a certain duration of time. You'll collect the data, you calculate the conversion rate, you calculate the power, calculate the variance uh, that's occurring, calculate your lift, and then uh, determine if what the confidence intervals are, determine based on the p-value if it's statistically significant. And then once you have all this evidence, then you have uh, your experiment then uh, is not nullified. The null hypothesis did not apply. And so now you can use that in uh, your campaign. And you can put real money behind it with a certain level of confidence that you will get a predictable outcome. You will get a predicted outcome of a certain profit or a loss. And uh, it's interesting because the world, if it runs on statistics, which I doubt that uh, a lot of people understand statistics, I know that uh, I put it off and I, and I wish I hadn't, but uh, uh, when I was taking mathematics, I did not have a background in statistics. I had a background in uh, geometry and algebra, but statistics was something that uh, I hadn't looked at. But now that I understand it a little bit better, I can see the power of making statistical decisions. And, uh, you know, when you look at it the way a car is driving, you know, there's a lot of decisions a self-driving car has to make. And maybe a lot of it have, comes down to statistical inference. You know, is that a person? Is that a bicycle? Will that bicycle cross my path? So it's analyzing the trajectory of that bicycle and 
it's looking out into the future. Maybe it's using an LSTM network to uh, predict where uh, from the historical cell, what's important, what to keep, and then based on that, making a, a prediction on whether that, that bicycle might cross the path. Same with, a, let's say if you're in a self-driving car and, and a uh, drunk driver is crossing your path into a head-on collision with you. Now, th that's, an, that's something that uh, ordinary drivers and the large population sample of training that the self-driving car had gone through won't have experienced. And all of a sudden, there's a car that's coming for him, the car, self-driving car, and it, it's going to need to, uh, again, calculate the probability of impact and then uh, take evasive maneuver to try to avoid uh, being hit. Or the, it panics and, and sends out a red alert and uh, the user wakes up and grabs the steering wheel and swerves. Um, not sure how that would work. In that case, it, it uh, would defer to human judgment to be able to read the intention of the drunk driver. But then there might, there might be an argument that it, the self-driving car should never turn the autonomy over to the human being because they won't have time to respond because they're not engaged in the driving. They're letting the machine do the driving. And if, let's say, there is no steering wheel and uh, the, the passengers are having a, a discussion and, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to have windows. The car doesn't even have to have windows. It could be inside of a contained uh, shell, a pod, and then the pod would be, t uh, there would be responsibility of the self-driving car to evade the uh, oncoming vehicle. And so it would have to have been trained in simulation on how to handle that situation. So again, there's statistical outliers and those are always, you know, these things can happen in the real world. And, uh, and so, you know, it's always interesting when you're talking with the engineering because they have to uh, think about those those elements and uh, that's kind of cool there's a guy riding a, a it looks like an electric wheel he's standing on the wheel and he's zipping around uh, down the road it's the Millennials are figuring new and cheaper ways to get from uh, one place to another um, I've uh, seen that there's been an increase of electric bikes around town and scooters and um, I was talking to some contractors in the past and they would go from their hotel to, uh, to the workplace and they would do that on an electric bicycle. And they did it because uh, it was uh, a, a cheap way of, it's cheaper than getting an Uber ride and because uh, Uber was, would be about $20 a day. And, uh, they could, uh, you know, spend like $700 and get a electric bike that could travel 30 miles an hour. And that was fast enough to get to, to work. Well, uh, 
anyway, going back to A-B testing. So A-B testing is basically five uh, variables that you're concerned about. Uh, your conversion rate, duration, um, power, statistical significance, and p-value. So that's it. Once you and, and maybe variance, variance will uh, you once you had, if you can calculate p-value, you can calculate uh, lift and, and variance and power. So you might want to break those components down so you're you know you're aware of kind of what the data is doing. But they do say that you know that you need to be visualizing and kind of anticipating what you believe the data will be doing. And, uh, you know, get that kind of intuition about the data is, you know, if you get a result, does it make sense? If you have a conversion rate factor that's 50%, does that make sense in a, in a campaign that you would have 50% of the people making purchases for one out of every two would be making a purchase? You know, but, uh, you know, it's possible. It depends on maybe what the, is offered. Maybe it's... Uh, you know, in the day when uh, Cabbage Patch dolls all of a sudden become a huge craze, uh, you know, people couldn't would uh, were snatching up uh, those those dolls as fast as they could. You know, I don't I don't know what the new doll or new toy will be this year that everyone will want, but there'll be something that uh, people want. Well, um, AI. Sometimes I think that there's like, uh, you know, there's multiple domains or pods where AI has found a niche. But I, I still hear a lot of frustration because people are in the, the data engineering realm, even got a lead on a data engineering job. I don't think I'll take it because it was in Pocatello. But they were like saying, hey, come and work for us. You know, you got the right skill sets. Uh, and uh, you'd be working in data bricks and data lakes and you know analyzing financial information and uh, you know maybe running it through PySpark pipelines uh, or you know ingesting the data through taps and drains uh, those are all really cool ideas you know they're dealing with you know large data clusters things like that and you know but at the end of the day, you know, it's financial. What can what can you do with financial data? Uh, classification, trend, you know, that for maybe a little bit of forecasting. Not a lot of excitement in financial. Uh, healthcare, it take changes its form. You got a lot of classification. You can find, you know look for correlations of things. You know, answer business questions. Of, relating to the healthcare and what I found is predictability in the healthcare world was pretty good using logistical regression. Probability really does well uh, for answering questions in the healthcare just because of the structure. It's got codes, it's got classifications, uh, you know, they've got some text, uh, diagnostic text that encoded and so things are are uh, uh, you know you can you can get these uh, 
wide range of features that have predictable outcomes and then you can train it on against the data to see you know what's occurring and uh is there is there a, a you know what 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 types of things are very common in female or male and uh and then those things can be understood uh, then you have social media, you know, what are people saying? So you got to analyze natural languages and, uh, you know, sentiment analysis and uh, multi-label group classification and groupings, topic search. And from those, those type of things, then you can quickly identify maybe clusters of groups, like groups, like like people that are saying similar things and, and then the machine can do introductions. You're like, hey, this person uh, likes fly fishing also and they do a lot of discussions. Uh, he was just talking about uh, his trip to, uh, I don't know, Montana where he did some fly fishing. And so, you know, maybe uh, in the future the AI will make introductions to people with like interest on social media. Um, content creation is a big deal and now you know you have people creating content right now but what happens when machines start creating content and they start creating visuals and things and you know what if the uh, creation of the content is more uh, more real more attractive than the real imaging alright that's it for today